Seminar with Adam Arn. Welcome to 3 PR. I'm your host, Adam Arn. And joining me again is Jean Pierre Jagnoli. Jean, how are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for being on. Glad to have your time. Uh, you've uh, we'll talk about this. We'll open up. You've overcome some hurdles in the last year. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been rough. Uh, there's been a lot of things going on in my life. Uh, I think yeah, since the last time we talked, a few more things have happened. So, um, I mean, obviously the biggest was I had a cancerous tumor on my left kidney. They removed that back in August. Uh, thankfully, you know, I'm cancer free right now. They were able to save my kidney. So, you know, I definitely am positive and really excited about that. Uh, one of the more rough things that happened just last week, actually, is I had to go to the ER. Um, so my kidneys have been affected by the tumor. Basically, I have a lot of medical problems because of uh, what the cancer did. And um, I-, I was able to go back to a regular diet about a month after my surgery because recovery was going great. Um, I've been doing tests, different things like that. I did a blood test uh, about uh, two weeks ago now. Um, and my potassium was a little high, and that's affected by you know the kidneys. Um, now I've been able to keep that under control for a long time, even with the cancer and all that. But for some reason, I guess my kidneys just not, uh, dealing with potassium correctly. So, uh, my doctor recommended cutting out even more potassium before I did another blood test. So I did that, thought I was doing good. And then the potassium was even higher than before. So I ended up having to go in, going to the ER for over 24 hours just for observation and to bring the potassium down. Um, so I ended up doing all that and, uh, yeah, it's, it was, it was definitely rough because I feel fine. And even through all this, I'm actually a medical anomaly because I have zero symptoms of any of the things that I've had through the years and, and because of the tumor and everything that, and the cancer and all that stuff. Um, so even the ER doctor, when she saw me, she asked me a, a, a ton of questions. You feel nauseous, this, that pain here, this, that nope. Like I feel fine. Like, I don't feel like I should be in the ER, but whatever. And the doctor seemed a little baffled. Huh. Um, and, and then I stayed in the hospital. They ended up uh, keeping me for observation for a little over 24 hours. And even when I was, uh, you know, leaving uh, the hospital, the nurses have, you know, the dis- discharge papers and they have to read uh, off the list uh, just because they have to for safety. But it was funny because the nurse was going, OK, so if you walk, you should walk assisted. And I was literally walking around the room by myself, changing, getting ready to leave. My wife was coming to pick me up. And the nurse kind of paused for a second and looked at me and saw that I was just seemed so normal and you know she she ended up finishing reading the list of discharge uh, information and then i went on my way so it definitely is surprising i have to go through an extreme diet change and have to do a low sodium diet so uh, low sodium low potassium a bunch of stuff um it's difficult it pretty much everything has potassium so it's like the list of what i can eat now versus what uh i can't eat is much smaller like i wish they would have just told me what i could eat because seeing the list of what i can't eat it's like everything that pretty much has any flavor or tastes good is <laughs> like off the list now yeah um, you, so, you, you think of potassium like i in my, in my mind i'm like well swap to like maybe like a like um like a veggie diet right like salads and, and veg, vegetable base but there's even potassium in that there is, yeah. Even some of the vegetables I really like, uh, I can't eat anymore because they're full of potassium. So potassium's in like everything. Um, there is obviously a limited quantity of potassium I can intake, but not very much. Uh, so yeah, it was it was funny because a week ago I was celebrating because they did um, CT scans and MRIs and and saw that there's no cancer returning. So I have to do that for the next five years just to make sure you know it doesn't come back. Which I was really happy and excited. I felt like I got a you know kind of like little clean bill of health. And then a few weeks later, I'm back in the hospital for, you know, I guess some sort of related stuff. So it's funny, even with everything I went through this one, I don't know why it affected me so much, but I think it did. I think it's because it was so close to being excited and celebrating that I'm cancer free. And then, you know, having another issue come up and it's like, man, I can't catch a break, but I'm still staying positive, just getting through it to figuring out changing my diet, eating differently. And all that. So, um, yeah, I'm making the best of it because I still believe I survived everything I survived recently for a reason. And I have a purpose and a mission. And, you know, I'd love to inspire people and do a lot of things in life. And uh, I'm here. So I'm going to keep doing it. Well, so yeah, I mean, the, the best way I can say I look at it. The universe has a plan for you because you're overcoming a lot of things that most people won't handle well. Not to mention you're an actor in L.A. That's working yeah. itself to even just be an actor, let alone working as much as you're going to be working. Uh, it yeah, takes a toll. Definitely true. So what projects are you coming up on here soon? Um, let's see. Um, well, I can't 
go into too much detail about this current project I'm working on, right, but I'll give right. you, I can give you a little hint of something. Uh, so basically it was kind of cool. I worked over at Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights as a monster during their Halloween event uh, last year. And I ended up meeting this guy who was casting a paranormal show. He ended up casting me in the show and uh, eventually, unfortunately, the other people who were involved uh, just weren't working out. So I ended up now I'm hopefully going to be the lead of the show. So I'm basically locking down um, a location right now so we could from our pilot. We have uh, some major networks interested, uh, some major parties interested. So I'm really excited about the potential for that. We just got to lock down a location and get the date set up and uh, film that pilot. And hopefully uh, we'll have uh, someone pick it up. So that's one of my major ones that I, this week I actually should be finding more uh, out about because locations I'm trying to lock down. Well, uh, so on I'm this really show, excited about is, that. This, is this scripted or is it like a, like a reality show? No, it's like a reality okay. show. And, and I have a lot of say, thankfully, in it because I'm the lead. So I'm really trying to bring authenticity to this show. You know, I don't want to script anything. I don't want to fake anything. Right. Um, but as someone who's in entertainment understands how to get people's attention, I have some really unique ideas to do it differently than other people have and, and kind of create like a serious tone, but also, you know, something that'll, that'll garner attention. So I'm, I'm really excited about the prospect of it, especially that I have a lot of say uh, in what's going to happen. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I mean, this. as you should, um, you have, what makes it even more unique is that you have a, a parapsychology background. You've, you've investigated paranormal. So for you to do this show, it makes it, I think all shows should be that way. There should be someone who has a level of uh, experience in the field before throwing them out there and saying, all right, man, we're going to make this spooky. You know what I mean? It, it gives exactly. It, it makes it more authentic, in my opinion. Definitely. Yeah. So that's that's one of the main things. Um, outside of that, just lots of auditions. My agent's getting me a ton of auditions. I did an audition for a movie today uh, for a part. And then, uh, yeah, I've been doing a ton of self-tape auditions and stuff like that. Um, and in between that, I do a lot of background and extra work for TV shows and movies and all kinds of stuff. So I was on the TV show SWAT recently. A bunch of my friends. Got your back. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. We, you were speaking in terms of uh, you're doing a lot of background work on the sets. Your agent's getting you some parts. Um, you know, I'll, I'll state this plainly. Uh, Brad Pitt started on a Pringles commercial. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of celebrities that before they got to that point, I mean, they, let's be honest, you got to put the time in there. I mean, you, you got to do your due diligence and, and learn and get involved. So it's not it's not cut and dry for anyone. You know, it takes no, definitely not. And I had this great book uh, my dad gave to me, actually. And it's it was a book of how uh, like I, I want to say it's about maybe 30 actors and how they made it. And everybody had a different story. So it's funny. A lot of people act like there's only one way to do it, one way to make it. There's really not. There's so many random stories of people walking on the street, being in this random place at a random time and and stuff working out like that. So uh, I've learned that life is really mysterious and this business can be mysterious in that sense too where it just takes the right people the right place right time you know you never know but if you're if you're not in it and in the thick of it uh your your chances dramatically lessen so it's better that i'm out there putting my face out there and my name out there than just uh, sitting at home hoping for something to happen so. well yeah i mean that's the thing you remain optimistic you keep pushing forward and, and to you know to add to that something morgan freeman said years ago on this uh, on an interview he said it takes persistence and optimism in order for you to make it right. Cause he didn't really Definitely. think he was going to be a star. He didn't, I, I don't think Morgan Freeman was like maybe in his forties or something like that. Right. Yeah, he was up there. He was definitely much older when he first uh, first had his major movie role. I actually just posted um, a uh, little, little blurb about a bunch of uh, famous people who all their failures or the age that they made it at. And it was a lot of people messaged me and or commented and said they were very inspired by it because, you know, these people started out. Oprah was fired when she was 23. And, you know, all these other stories. Morgan Freeman was on the list as well, being much older when he got his first uh, major role. So, yeah, same with Samuel um, Jackson. He didn't he wasn't. I think yes, he was probably in his late 40s before he hit a uh, feature film. All right. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it's it's weird how I think with human beings, we have this idea, right? We created the idea of time, right? That doesn't exist outside of us creating it to kind of manage things. Right. And sadly, it affects how we look at the world and ourselves. So we think we're getting older, we're getting too old, we can't do this. But I, I stopped believing that. Thankfully, I broke that cycle that I used to have that like, I wasn't su successful enough at this age. And you know, I'm a failure. Instead, it's like, nah, we all have our own path, our own timeline, our own 
space and it happens when it's supposed to happen for you. And I think uh, I, I said it to my wife and lots of other people for me before. I'm like, honestly, I had to overcome a lot from abuse to cancer to my family dying to all kinds of crazy stuff. And I really don't think I would have as good a head on my shoulders or be as intelligent as I am if I didn't have the time to really develop myself as well as learn who I am. And I think that makes you stronger in achieving something great because you have to know yourself or else you can lose yourself in this business too and in anywhere else in life if you're not, uh, you know, strong in who you are. Agreed. You know, I, I have I, I, in everything I hear and read to be an A-list person in anything, you have to have an A-list attitude. Period. Definitely. Yeah, because if, if you don't, you're walking to the wall, hoping the wall moves and it's not gonna, you know, I mean, a lot of these celebrities and actors, I've read about them and they've had, they've gone through some major trials uh, on their way up. Like I didn't know this jewel was homeless. She was living in her car and Mm -hmm. and performing on the road. And before and and took like one person somewhere to hear her. And that's really what it, and, and, and she was on that verge of like, do I just give up? I mean, here I am. I have no money. I'm living in a car. Uh, you know, so there's some, there's some trials ahead, but I think for you and the, and the type of attitude you display and, and, you know, your, everything you've been through, I, I think the universe has a plan for you ultimately. Yeah, definitely. I think especially coming out of cancer really gave me perspective, watching my family die from COVID in 2021 and watching them die with a lot of regret. Um, all those things really, I mean, I already had changed my perspective right before that about my own life, but to encounter that and the struggles I did, it just gave me a stronger passion, a stronger drive and more perspective on life and what you, what it takes to achieve things. Like it's not easy. It's not quick. It's not fast, but if you work at it, if you stick with it, if you keep going and you finally achieve it, I mean, uh, that's that's the ultimate, uh, I think, uh, fulfillment in my eyes for me. Agreed. So, you know, you see in over the course of the last you know few decades, um, and I've been paying attention to this because lately I've been like doing this thing where I watch like a, a program, like a TV program from like the 90s and then the early 2Ks versus today to see what the, dif- the differences are. And mm-hmm. outside some small, you know, verbiage, it's not really that different. The formula remains yeah. the same. Uh, the only thing that really was game changing in the early two thousands was like when Survivor came out or reality, you know, competitions. That that was yes. a, that was a major game changer for them. Uh, but as far as scripted shows go, they seem to have the same rep- recipe. Ultimately. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, and I mean, even reality TV is oversaturated, and there's formulas even for that now that are so um, you know you can you can compare two even different genres of reality shows, and there's a lot of similarities in how they're edited and how they perform and the ways they do things, whether it's competitive or or otherwise. Um, there's definitely formulas to everything. So yeah, I used to watch uh, Hell's Kitchen when it, you know, mm-hmm. I was really big into that show. And then I, I, some part of me was paying attention to how much food was being thrown away, and I'm like. This is L.A. There are people starving out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are they throwing all this food away? Uh, but that's what circles in the back of my head. I'm one of these people. I'm consciously thinking yeah. in the background. It's terrible. But um, for movies, too. Now, I, I didn't realize this, uh, but the, the strongest movies in the last two decades were either some, like, raunchy comedy or, like, horror sci-fi. They were powerful, yeah. very powerful. And the narrative always seems to be kind of similar. There's the... The hero that you, you, you go for, and in some cases it's the anti-hero you root for, but ultimately it's one individual. Imagine a story mm-hmm. with, with this kind of plot, John, where okay. the world's got uh, vampires, werewolves, all these different ab- abnormalities running around, and it just gets to the point where it's out of control, right? It's completely running rampant. And mm-hmm. then out of nowhere, uh, specific humans around the world are activated, uh, and they have like this kind of super ability. And it's come to the point where they have to, they, they're, and they're considered to be neutral. So in other words, these aren't mm-hmm. good guys. These are the cleanup crew. And their yeah. job is to run around and eradicate these, these violent, and not all of them, right? Because clearly, as, as what you would imagine, like maybe there's some vampires, they, they, they don't, they're not evil, right? They're just, yeah. that happens to be their species. Same being mm-hmm. for the other, um, you know, creatures that run around. They're, they're, that's their species, but they're not core evil. The job of these neutrals are to locate and and get rid of the evil faction. Yeah. Imagine that narrative. Yeah, very, very interesting, very intriguing. 
Definitely. Yeah. I like the idea that, you know, we're not talking about heroes here. It's neutral. It's just getting the job done. So it's very like there's a task to be done by right. it. And even in that story plot, there might be like this, this vampire that's, it is, a, he's, look, he's an asshole. He's evil. He does horrible things. But for whatever reason, mm. the, the audience has gravitated to him. There, there's some allure to him. And eventually he's got to be taken out too, right? So this is another show with that kind of, let's break the rules. And even though you like this character, they got to go to keep it easy. Yeah. You know, keep it interesting. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's definitely breaking the mold, not uh, typical from what you see a lot of the time. So I like the idea and the concept is a little more outside the box is throwing twists in there and, you know, probably give you a little little shock even if you like, especially or or hurt if you like a character and you see them, uh, you know, not there anymore. So, right. Yeah. There was a show I watched uh, on um, Dead Summer. I think it is on Netflix. Mm hmm. Man, (laughs) it's a zombie show. And oh, Black Summer, Black Summer, that's what it's called. It's on Netflix. You got to watch it if you haven't. It okay. literally breaks the rules of, of a lot of the shows where like you, you, there's these characters, you're introduced to them, you see how they, you're following their story as they migrate through the story, but don't become attached to anybody. It's mm-hmm. crazy. You know, it's like, I think they took where The Walking Dead was starting to go and mm-hmm. really just put, they put their foot down on the gas and went all in. It was, it's a really interesting show to watch. I recommend it. Yeah, I'm gonna put that on my on my watch list for sure. It sounds like something I'd enjoy. Yeah, for that other idea I was talking about, you know, just you know, things I was reading about. Just imagine two really strong directors coming together and shaking hands, saying, "Let's work on this. Let's do something. Let's let's make this a three part thing that's just you know all out powerful." That I mean that, in in an ideal setting, that that would be a perfect uh, movie series, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. No, it sounds really good. It sounds again, uh, you know, whenever you can do something, especially in the in the current trend of the industry right now of doing so many remakes and reboots and rehashes of things um, to, to kind of break the mold and do something different. It can be very, very powerful and gain a lot more attention and get a lot of interest because uh, there's not a lot of people willing to take those kind of risks in the industry because, you know, it's so much about, you know, making that money back or repeat money off of things that are popular. So if you can bring something new into the fold, I mean, you can break new ground and really, you know, cement uh, a spot in uh, cinematic history with something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's way different, you know, especially with the reboots. I'm glad you said that. Uh, as a kid, I was not afraid of uh, horror movies like uh, Jason, Freddy. Mike. Mm-hmm. Those, they didn't phase me as a kid. And maybe because I was yeah. a weird. I'm one of these people in life. Like I was telling you when we first started talking, uh, I want to go out and get involved with the paranormal research, but I'm the weirdo that runs to it. I got to see what that is. So maybe yeah, that's, well, that, that's why we get along on the same way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's a, in, in, in terms that's, that's a lot like why these movies don't bother me, but there was one movie as a kid that the creature disturbed me and it was Pumpkinhead. You ever seen that? Oh, okay. Yes, I have. That was the only thing that freaked me out. And they did so well on, on the, mm-hmm. uh, the sculpting of the face and then the, the, the muscle movements. Cause when you, I, I watched the behind the scenes eventually. Yeah. Uh, remarkable. And they're talking about rebooting it. Now, my fear is that they're mm. going to use CGI. That yeah. Or, that original creature was sculpted, like hand sculpted in man. Yes. They had a guy that was like seven foot plus tall as uh, inside of it. It was menacing to look at. I really hope yeah. if they're going to reboot it, I really hope they stick to that. That mean- yeah, yeah. Practical effects are really important in Hollywood, and they they've done studies with audiences on this. Um, the thing with the human mind is we can tell when something is real on film and when something is CGI. There's just there's still a lack of natural movement and natural look to it. So even though technology has surpassed what we ever thought it could as far as visually doing things with CGI, there's nothing that compares to seeing the physical elements of it. That's why the original Jurassic Park did so well. And there was um, naysayers of the Jurassic World series because I think it was was the first one. They just went crazy with CGI and no, no practical effects. And the audiences did not like that as much. So in the second one, third one, they started incorporating more practical effects again because audiences were not liking the full CGI stuff. So there is really something to bringing those practical effects um, that just looks so much more realistic and authentic on film uh, that just CGI can't do. And I, I mean, CGI may get there at some point, but we're still in the... And it's hard with the human brain, too, because the human brain is much more complex than we think it is. So it picks up things that that people think it won't pick up, basically. Yeah, you're right. You know, because I, I my daughter, 
Uh, she loves the original uh, Jurassic Parks. Uh, and mm-hmm. she It's like her comfort movies. She, she will rewatch them. And I'm still pretty amazed by how well they did on, on the up-close creatures and, and, and the makeup and the, and the animatronics. They did really, really good. Yep. And I re- yeah, very like, true. Like the original Alien, uh, from Alien and Aliens, that those were puppeteers. They were created, and it, it, you're right. The reaction to those were, in my opinion, more authentic. I like that. There was a show, mm-hmm. John. Do you remember the show called Face Off? Yeah, I do, actually. That was yeah, a great I show. That, show. that was a great show, and you got to see people uh, utilize their art at some really high calibers. Yes, definitely. Yeah, me and my wife, uh, when it was, I think it was the first season, we were addicted to that show. We loved it. We kept watching. I'm like, there's another episode. We got to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I did, same. I would binge watch that. And then when they stopped it, I was so disappointed. I'm like, I, I mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, unfortunately, I think it has a lot to do with the audience. Uh, people, of course, yeah, they, they want dramatic reality nonsense and they don't want to see mm-hmm. art and sculpture. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a shame uh, because that show. In my opinion, that was that was probably one of the best reality competition competition shows out there. Mm-hmm. I, I Definitely was- very good. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. As soon as you mentioned it, I, I recognized the name immediately and thought of man. I mean, me and my wife were like hooked on that show. <laughs> yeah, there was one. There was one episode where they, where they had to come up with uh, their own characters. Uh, one villain, one good guy, and I'll never this this girl did this job on the villain. And I got to tell you, it was stellar. It looked or- organic. It looked real. She did mm-hmm. so good on it, you know. I mean, so again, when they come out with this, if, if they're going to reboot Pumpkinhead, so I only read about it. It's been spoken about, I don't know, tons of times. Yeah, I hope they go that route again, where they just create something, get some big guy to get in there, because that that really, I mean, uh, so again, the only movie to bother me, Pumpkinhead, <laughs> as a kid, mm-hmm. it was the only one that got me. Yeah, but outside of the rest, of it, like even like Child's Play, I remember being a kid and seeing Chucky. Like, well, what's it, this thing is. Granted, it's evil and it wields a knife, but if I have a bat, yeah. it's over. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. definitely. Yeah, no, I'm, I was always into that kind of creepy, dark stuff. Uh, I've always been the same kind of a weird kid who was into the paranormal, saw, experienced a bunch of paranormal stuff. That's why I investigated and went as far as I did in the paranormal field. But also, yeah, the the dark horror stuff. I mean, I worked at Universal Studios for Halloween Horror Nights last year. I worked at uh, Not Scary Farm as a monster for six years where I met my wife. Um and uh, then I worked at Queen Mary, uh, Dark Harbor, their Halloween event when it was still there, uh, which is not too far from me. So, I mean, yeah, the dark, macabre, dark, scary stuff is uh, I'm all about it. I'm the guy that runs towards it when everybody's freaking out. I usually have my wife and other people tell me, no, 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 there's something right there. You need to back up. And I'm like, I don't feel anything. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm not good enough to go in the field and see something in the distance and not get close to it. I can't do I'm it. I'm the same. Yeah, because I I will not sleep for months just trying to p- figure out what that was. I will, yeah, I have, I have such a curiosity of, of everything that I think that's what draws me to it. Yeah, so here's the other thing, too. So that Queen Mary, uh, several paranormal investigators told me that that, was, that would be the place to go for, to guarantee some sort of uh, uh, an observation of either uh, an apparition or at least witness something paranormal. They strongly suggest that place. Oh, yeah. It's one of the most haunted places. I was born in Long Beach and raised. I went to the Queen Mary so many times. I worked there. I have tons of stories um, from being on the ship. Uh, I actually filmed um, the finale episode of 1923. It's a prequel to uh, Yellowstone. We shot for three days on the Queen Mary on on the second day. We had a really long day. We were all dressed as wealthy um, um, ship you know, liner passengers. And the whole theme was 1923. So uh, because we were dressed in period clothing, I was curious if anything was going to happen. Now, there were a few people who actually experienced things while we were shooting. But what was weird was we took a break to eat lunch when we came back into the ballroom of the ship. For me, at least being, you know, empathetic and sensitive to the energy, like the energy shifted as if like us portraying that we were in the 1920s had kind of awoken something because you know how old the ship is and everything so the energy was definitely different and there was a few people talking about they had like somebody say something in their ear they had some of their stuff move on its own so definitely a lot of uh, stories there and again i've been going there and working there for years so i have tons of stories we probably do a whole episode just on the queen mary (laughs) yeah what are two profound ones you had that you could recall 
Um, the first one that always stood out to me was me and my wife were looking for a wedding venue. Um, we were thinking maybe by the beach or the ocean and we said, Hey, the queen Mary, they were doing uh, free tours, uh, one weekend for our Southern California residents. We're like, Oh, let's go. You know, I always love the queen Mary. Let's go hang out with another couple. And we're walking around the ship, you know, to do a wedding. There was really expensive. And we were just like, "Ah, I don't know, but we still wanted to check it out. Um, we were in the engine room of the ship. And we ended up going through this door that wasn't blocked, wasn't marked or anything, right? We thought we were part, still part of the tour, uh, but we ended up getting into like the boiler room area from that door and we couldn't get back out the door. And there's a bunch of black curtains um, and it sounded like like a 1920s big band was playing. There were people talking. You could smell smoke and we're like, oh man, like they're probably, you know, there's probably a wedding going on or something and maybe it's themed. And because we couldn't get through the door to get out, I said, you know, I'm just going to take the risk. I'm going to pull back the curtain and we'll just find a way out. And if we interrupt the party, whatever, I pull back the curtain. The moment I open the curtains, dead silence, no sound, no nothing. There's only a couple tables and chairs, not a person, not a soul down there. It's empty. And my wife just looks at me and goes, you heard that, right? And I was like, yeah, we both heard it. And we eventually found another door to get back out into the engine room. But that was that was crazy because it it just seemed so real. We heard the, the band. We heard the people talking. We smelled the smoke. And we were like, oh, there's like, you know, a party in here. And it was like, there's nobody here and it's dead silent. So that was that was really profound because both of us witnessed it and experienced it together. So that one really stands out to me a lot. Yeah, they say I've, I've read it. I've read it and I've heard it from others. Um, typically, when there's an energy in a room and they're, they're uh, reprising something that they usually do or, or you know, there's, a, I guess, a reenactment or, or there's, you know, mm-hmm. the, the energy will change when you come in because you, you shift. They have to a lot of people don't realize if, uh, or at least in, in my opinion, if if a ghost, hypothetically speaking, wants to touch you, it has to manipulate energy to do it. And it's not going to feel good, yes. whether it be pleasant or not. So the same be said for if there's a group of them in a room and, there's, and, they're, and they're stuck in a period of time, and then you walk in, the energy of that room changes. Yeah, oh, yeah, and, definitely. I mean, and, and you perfectly uh, sit it. Uh, it's all about energy. You know, imagine there's a certain type of energy in a room and you walk into it, you're going to affect that energy, vice versa. And it works vice versa, too. Uh, That's exactly what it is. It's energy interrupting other energy. And and all we are is energy anyway at our core. So, I mean, it makes sense. Agreed. Because at the end of the day, we're we're sitting in a body. But what's uh, what's running the show is the energy that's inside the the computer, the brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Without that, it's it's just uh, you're an object. You know, I'd spoken to a, a, a number of. Uh, paranormal investigators and even there's there's some scholars out there that they're 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 hell bent on disproving the afterlife and the paranormal and mm-hmm. a lot of these guys i speak to in, in off podcast interviews like i had a conversation with one today uh who is involved we were talking about this thing where these objects are being shot down but outside yeah. of that um this guy said he's never had a negative experience uh because he was out there trying to disprove and and but the one time he did he completely shifted. He, he didn't bother going back into that world again. He was done. Mm-hmm. And the worst yeah. part is you imagine like something hit him or grabbed him. No, this thing basically whispered his relatives uh, names. His living relatives was whispering their names in his ear. Freak, yeah. Freak yeah. And out. that's, <laughs> and that is very much uh, what, what it is to, to have a shift in perspective or a life changing experience. Because imagine for your entire life, you're staunch non-believer and you have something happen that's so out of your realm of normality that it shifts how you think or makes you afraid. Um, human beings, fear is a thing that protects us, but it also, I think, holds us back a lot of the time too. And encountering things that we fear uh, can change us. Like in his case, he didn't want to go back because even though it wasn't something negative, something crazy, it was something that he truly believed and he had to have not truly believed in it for for it to affect him this way. Just step back and say, "Uh uh-uh, that's enough for me. Like that, that, that blows the lid off of everything I thought and I'm just going to stay away from it. Yeah, he perceived that as a threat. It was like this thing's whispering, Mm -hmm. like living relatives in his ear, like saying, look, you don't back off and this is, you know. I'm going to bother them or something of that nature, but whatever it was, okay. he flat out said, goes, I'd never looked into the paranormal again. I just, I went to work and I didn't give it a second thought. I blocked it the best I could because mm-hmm. for him to be a very scientific mind and try to disprove something and something like that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> you're done because it's, oh, it's way out of your power of what you could do to respond to it. 
Mm-hmm. And and I'm very much on that that spectrum because I, I always try to use my logical analytical side of my brain when I encounter paranormal things. And then if I can eliminate all of the natural causes, sources of things that could have been uh, you know, mistaken for paranormal, then you're left with paranormal. So that I think it's better to approach it scientifically too, because then you you can give a little more evidence to the skeptics that you're not just thinking every sound is a ghost and uh, or or whatever other par- paranormal supernatural thing. Um, and you know, usually get more respect from the skeptics too by approaching it that way. So I'm very much in that sense. When I have something happen, I think okay. If I visually saw something, is there any objects I could have seen that before this moment that maybe I just happened to, you know, reflect again when I was looking into a light or something like that? So it's it's switching it up and doing different things to you know, solidify that. Okay, I think I had a paranormal experience because then nothing else uh, accounts for what happened. Yeah, that's, that's a, a default to logic. It's what I have too. And then if logic can't explain it, then it, it's definitely something supernatural at that point. Mm-hmm. I ask people this question a lot. Um we know a lot of, so the UFO sightings everywhere that are military encounter, a large mm-hmm. portion of them aren't viewed with the naked eye. It's the sensors. It's the really sophisticated equipment that's yes. detecting these things. And so a lot of the same equipment is surrounded by military bases and, uh, and, and energy institutions. And so I always ask, will AI discover the truth of the super, uh, of the paranormal or we, will we get to the truth of it first? Will humans, because AI, if you think about it, Mm-hmm. They are, they are, they don't, their eyes don't blink. They're yep. constantly detecting and they're always sourcing and looking to see what's there. They, they, there's no shutdown for them. Yes. And eventually yeah. AI is going to run some of our programs. This is, um, this is the truth mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's scary to say it, but eventually AI is going to be in charge of security. 100%. Because it's Oh good. yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're, we're moving to that, that stage, especially with uh, what they can do with AI now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very possible that we could see the AI maybe, uh, takes that next step into the field of the paranormal and actually, uh, you know, observes or captures something that, you know, finally maybe authentic proof, like scientific valid, you know, proof that there's something else out there too. Yeah. Because there's a machine at a, at a airport and it had facial recognition. It was there to, I I guess, identify terrorists or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. And it kept detecting something and so they thought it was broken so they replaced it with a brand new one and because each one of these machines were facing its own direction and this one once again was detecting something in a certain part of this place right yeah which and then you start and to me i was like well that doesn't make sense why only there and then you start listening to more uh paranormal investigators and and hear about um incidences and you find that uh they're in a time loop like if uh like there's a one gentleman who told me about the woman who was going in and out of the house and doing the same exact thing day after day. She was in a time mm-hmm. loop, right? So, and it's, yeah. It's well, re- well, time loop, we, we usually refer to it as a, um, a residual haunting, meaning that it's almost like a, a tape-recorded imprint of an event that just reoccurs over and over again, and that energy can be imprinted. And they find out there's like usually quartz nearby, a large amount of quartz, because those can actually, you know, like absorb and capture energy uh, better than other minerals can in, in, in out in the world. So... Um, yeah, we usually call those residual hauntings where it's like, they're not intelligent. Like you couldn't communicate with it. You couldn't, uh, interact with it, but, uh, you know, every day at two o'clock you see someone walk by and that's just, yeah, like a time loop. If sometimes it's traumatic event, sometimes it's just, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, just imprinted on the, on the area or the land. Yeah. Like, uh, the, um, there's a civil war location where the guy keeps getting like the same images, or mm-hmm. seeing the same thing out there. So these are places I, I definitely want to stop and check out. Because I, I, when you hear consistency, the likelihood of me of witnessing something myself is very likely. And that's what I'm looking forward to seeing, right? So I'm making yeah, it Yeah, and that, that feeds into the scientific uh, method as well, because that's something observable that happens again and again that you can actually, you know, deal with and study. So that's uh, very important to science as well, to have something consistent. Have you had any, what, what were like some of your negative experiences in the field? Um, I haven't had too many. One of my worst ne- negative experiences, we had a case out here in Bellflower, California. Uh, the client called us up. Um, now, we heard a lot of stories of what was going on from her. Obviously, we do our, our pre-check questionnaire to figure out what's going on, if it's legitimate uh, claims and all that kind of stuff. You know, make sure their mental stability is there. 
Um, we ended up showing up and immediately activity started happening and we had a bunch of incidents, but it was actually at the end of the night, well, closer to the end of the night, uh, there were two, two different things that happened. So, uh, one happened to my wife before something happened to me. So about 4am, we took a break. We left our cameras rolling in the house and our audio equipment and we went to like 7-Eleven to get some snacks just to stay up and kind of, you know, see if we catch anything when the house is completely empty and maybe something, some activity would occur. Um, as soon as we got back, it was like right at 4 a.m. when we got back to the house, we heard Native American chanting through the entire neighborhood. It sounded like a loudspeaker, but just everywhere. Um, everybody heard it. There was at least, uh, I want to say like eight of us, most of my paranormal team and the clients as well. Um, half of us jumped in our cars, drove around the neighborhood. Some of us went on foot. We got back to the house uh, of the client and my wife was missing and we're like, I thought she was with you. No, I thought she was with you. So we go out, we were in the cul-de-sac, her icy she got from 7-Eleven was sitting in the middle of the cul-de-sac and we were like, well, where is she? And it's like, I don't know. Um, So we're about to jump in the car again and we saw her on the uh, left corner of the, at the end of the cul-de-sac. So we run up, we get her, hey, what's going on? Where were you? She's like, I was here the whole time. No, you weren't. We passed by here. We drove by here and we walked by here and you weren't here and you've been gone for at least 15 minutes and she didn't want to talk about it. So we didn't know what had happened. So we just kind of let it go at that moment because she was okay. That's all we were concerned with. Um, Went back to the house, wrapped up about five in the morning. I'm tearing down uh, some cameras I had in the stairwell of the house. And all of a sudden I feel like a big presence, almost like a boulder from like Indiana Jones was like going to roll down at me. Um, And I braced for something. And it's this small little Latina girl. It's the sister of the client. She came home late from work. Uh, when she passed by me, just it clicked. And I said, I think, I think she's the source of this. Like something, something's up. Like I felt something weird. Um, so we're walking around the house, breaking down equipment. Uh, one of my equipment bags was next to her. She sat down on the couch downstairs. And uh, I had to put a piece of equipment in that bag. So I go to my gear bag, put the equipment away. I catch eyes with her for maybe five seconds, maybe even less than that. It was pretty, pretty quick. And all of a sudden, my chest got really tight and I couldn't breathe and my eyes started to water. And that was the first time I actually ran out of a house because it was I was in fear for my own safety. So I, I run out of the house. The moment I got out of the threshold, I could breathe again. It all opened up. My wife chased after me. You OK? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. But I don't want to go back in there because I don't know what that was. And like, I um, just want to be safe. She's like, cool. We'll just grab the equipment, start heading out. So I talked to the client outside of the house away from the sister. And I said, hey. I don't know what it is, but there's something up with your sister. We had a bunch of things happen the moment she showed up. Uh, You know, if there's anything you haven't told us, please let us know. And then she finally admitted it was later when she called me. She didn't tell me that night. But later after we investigated, she told me on the phone that her sister uh, and and a coworker were like having some beef. And they were like they were messing with witchcraft. So they were like stealing hair from each other's combs at the workplace and doing weird stuff. And I was like, well, if your sister doesn't understand what she's doing, and messing with that stuff in the house, there's a possibility this activity came from whatever she's doing. Because if she doesn't understand it, you don't you don't know what you're messing with if you mess with that stuff. And you're, you're not an expert. And there's really no experts anyway. So you should always be careful messing with that stuff. Um, so we really think it was that. But funny enough, the next morning, me and my wife woke up. Um, I had a circular burn mark on my chest in the center of it, right where I where I felt like it was really tight. And my wife's wristwatch was exactly 15 minutes behind the, the amount of time she was missing for. And she told me the next day that uh, she said it just got dark and she felt like the actual moisture of someone's breath breathing right on her face. And it was just pitch black and she couldn't see where she was. And I was like, OK, so that is probably one of the most negative experiences I've had because I just felt for my safety at that point. Because it's rare. I've been told by other spiritual people that I've worked with that um, the other side uh, doesn't mess with me. I'm some sort of authority figure there, and they're afraid to mess with me. Because when I encounter clients where there's children being bothered by an entity or something, like I get more aggressive because I'm very protective. So I'm like, no, you don't mess with those kids. You mess with me. Like I'm not going to stand for that. And then people tell me like, oh, they're not going to, they're not going to mess with you no matter what you do. They're, 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 they're cautious of you. And I was like, okay. Um, so that, yeah, that was one of the only times I've actually had something negative happen to me. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre with like, so for demons, for example, I've been reading a lot about it. Um, mm-hmm. 
they target weak people, right? They target people like drugs or alcohol yes. or depression. And when you yes. start playing around with witchcraft and they see your, your, your anger is because at the end of the day, when you're really angry towards somebody and it's personal, mm-hmm. you're opening up the doorway for, to, for other manifestation, whether it be a chemical one or something supernatural. And yeah. And, and there's that interplay that I tell people a lot of the time between the spiritual world and the physical world that like, if you have regrets, if you have, you know, anger, depression, all, yeah, all these kinds of things, those are gateways for things to attach to you, to mess with you, to, to do things and, and like an opening to do stuff. So definitely true. Yeah. Because with demons, uh, they just want to whisper in your ear and influence you. And if you, their demons are from what I read and what I've learned, anyhow, they're like a, they're like a depression or a disease. If you acknowledge it and combat it, you can push it back and, and, and overcome it, right? Mm-hmm. So usually they'll leave because they're like, all right, this person's aware of me. I'm not going to have influence onto the next or I'll come back to this one when we're weak again. And when you play with, yep. like I, people put a lot of uh, power behind Ouija boards. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you, if you sit down and you really focus on, on negativity and I think any object could, could have that same performance, right? Even oh, a, completely. Even and also, um, I always talk about the power of the human mind and our intentions um, in the real world and in the spiritual world. So, um, yeah, y- you could get rid of the Ouija board, but if your intent is to communicate with something, you can. Uh, but when you add a physical object that's meant for that, I mean, I think you do add a little another element that does probably help it and make it a little bit easier to try and mess with you because you're adding other other things into the the conversation so to speak yeah i mean you're putting uh, but, faith, if you put faith into something and, and an entity sees that they're going to utilize that object because you're putting faith in it exactly yeah it's a scary it's scary business man you know i mean oh definitely I, there's the other factor too and i say this on the show a lot and i got this because i you know graham hancock speaks about there there have been many civilizations on this world a lot longer than what we know which i, I kind of firmly believe in him because even the pyramids there's no shot they were made three thousand years ago it's not about five thousand not even ten thousand mm-hmm. those are old and you can see the sphinx the face of it does not match the body of that 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 statue it was altered somewhere down you know and that's an egyptian mm-hmm. thing to do we know historically egyptians have defaced other monuments in the name of their their current uh, uh yes pharaoh so we know that's happened um oh yeah 100 percent. my wife is huge into egyptology and i mean i've i've always found uh egyptians fascinating as well um but definitely one of their biggest uh things is like uh it's believed that if you um remove all uh, you know, pictures, statues, whatever uh, of so and so that they cannot live on on the other side. So that's yeah, it's in their um, ideology. It's it's very powerful to remove uh, you know images that that are familiar of someone from the past, um, and that's supposed to hurt them on the other side as well. So even that is a spiritual thing to them. Right. Yeah. I mean, so when you hear about a priest going to perform an exorcism and it fails, now keep mm-hmm. in mind. If he's speaking these words with authority, he's putting his his full faith behind it. Perhaps maybe it'll have some effect. But if you're going there as, a, as to perform an exorcism based on textbook and you're reading the words, hoping that these words work against whatever this entity is, bear in mind, this entity might be much older. It might predate humanity or religion. Yes. And the words you use mean very little to it. So it's not going to have any effect on it whatsoever. Uh, yeah and it goes back to what we mentioned earlier energy if you're using your energy in the same intent uh then you know i think that gives it more power but yeah if you're just uh, by the book reading something uh that's it's definitely not a good way to go agreed yeah because it's it's just it's not gonna have a profound effect at all uh it's just jargon being thrown at it and it's not going to recognize it or there's no authority behind it as well um another big thing too with the paranormal and, and a lot of these misconceptions people have about um, tracking down. Uh, there's this weird thing, John, where these people, there's an obsession with demons. Uh, they, they, there's even people out there, and I know a few that are demonologists. They look deeply into these things. Yeah. On the, as, as much of a study as it may be, you also have to have a pretty strong mind because if you're reading it, then your brain's entertaining it. And if you're not in a strong state of mind, it could have a negative impact on you. Oh, a hundred percent. And, uh, and even, uh, beyond that, like I've, I had a demonologist that was part of my team, 
for for a while and he encountered issues uh being a demonologist with with his first wife and all kinds of stuff because you know if you even if you have someone near you it's almost like that the old superhero uh you know story where it's like you know you can't know who i am because then the bad people will come after you you know right uh it was kind of like that where it's like he's dealing with demons and negative things and yeah maybe he's strong but if your partner's not strong and that stuff comes after them then you know that's a whole nother mess of problems so it's definitely something you have to be very aware of and careful with agreed so the other subject the military is shooting down objects (laughs) Mm-hmm. the balloon i get it's it's chinese made it's a balloon but the other yeah. ones it, I, it's weird how um they're not speaking what they are mm-hmm. uh, we're not getting a description they're, they there's as they're saying is unknown flying objects which we all yeah. know the phrase for that um uh, mm-hmm. it, it gives me pause i'm like are they gonna utilize this to kind of blend the two worlds together of ufology and and then what these are i mean what what, what is a goal there it, it's mind-blowing i know it really is uh, i have my best friend who's actually my co-founder of my paranormal team he's in the air force and the first thing i did when i talked to him the other day after the first one was shot down i was like hey man so uh are you working on any projects lately you know about what's going on with this ufo stuff and he's like oh we're not working on that we're working on some other stuff which obviously i can't talk about right but um but it sounded like he may have more info on what it is, but I know he's unfortunately because he's in the Air Force, he's sworn to not say anything about it, especially over we're playing a video game online. You know, you don't know who's listening in if you're doing that. But uh, maybe when we meet up in person, I could get more details because uh, definitely I've he's given me information about things that uh wasn't released to the public before and then eventually it was released to the public so i know he's privy to some uh information of certain things but obviously you know non-disclosure agreement he's not allowed to talk or say anything about it but it sounded like he may have some uh some more knowledge than others do about it being in the air force and being an electrical um engineer on aircraft so um you know i'm not 100 percent sure some of the more details have come out since the second one was shot down they gave a little more detail about that one so it sounded like this at least the second object that i have information about was smaller and they don't think it had a payload they um they don't believe that um it could have had any actual like beings on it or pilots because of the size it was uh but they're also very scarce with the details so that's that's what they're telling the public right now but you know who really knows to be sure i mean uh i mean they have become a lot more open about a lot of the ufo stuff and um so i mean who knows if uh this is becoming such a big thing now that uh you know they're they can't deny it <laughs> yeah <laughs> eventually I mean, maybe they'll come out with more i look at it this way it has to be a foreign country's object that they, that they're shooting down. I'll I'll say this only because, uh, historically speaking, and from all the Mm -hmm. accounts from all the the fighter pilots, these things that we, we know to be true UFOs outmaneuver Mm us at great paces. Uh, yes and that's what i would think as well and i've heard the same thing so for me my hankering suspicion is that uh it probably is some sort of foreign uh flight thing or i mean you know there's a lot of amateur engineers out there now that that are building their own stuff homemade so there could be somebody made some sort of uh of their own craft to mess with uh and and that obviously will put uh national security on alert if there's some objects in the sky that uh they're tracing that shouldn't be there so yeah i mean i i, I got fooled once by uh um a drone here in florida mm-hmm. a friend of mine and we we're at a pool hall was like hey man i got a video actually i'll have to share it with you yeah He's like, hey, man, come out here looking at it. So I go running out of this pool hall, and I see this, like, green light that's moving up and down and left and right, and it's pretty big. And I was like, whoa. And then when we saw it land, because uh, our instincts were, get in the car, we're, even though we're drinking, get in the car, yeah. we're going to go see this. And it was, a, it was a pretty large drone. Some guy, a regular yeah. guy built a kit, and when I say large, it was the size of a shopping cart. And it had mm-hmm. a huge green light on it. And I was impressed by it. I was like, that's yeah for this guy to build this and put it up in the air and probably fool who, who knows how many people saw that. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. Now you have somebody with pretty decent resources and they're experimenting mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think they said the second one's like the size of a, a car, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's not small well, to me. It's not small, but by mm-hmm. standards of the, of the air force, it's tiny. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what they're referring to, what they know to be large craft. Uh, to them, it was small. So um, it's definitely interesting. But yeah, I think we'll, if, if it becomes public knowledge at some point, we'll probably find out it's some sort of foreign craft or some sort of, you know, local man-made craft that, you know, a, a clever engineer probably came up with um, outside of uh, any normal uh, places you would build that. Or China's experimenting with ways to spy on us, and they're just testing to see what works and what doesn't. Because I mean, oh yeah, that's what we do. We've done it. <laughs> we should. Oh yeah, no, it, it's it would be ridiculous to not um, keep that as a factor, and uh, that somebody else would do the same things that we're doing already. So, yeah, it's concerning that China. I don't. They said something about the balloon drifted off course. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Man. That's pretty far. <laughs> you know, so. Well, that's the they said the same thing about the second craft they shot down um, that uh, they think that it just might have like lost course or something. And that's why it was in airspace. It shouldn't have been in. Uh, but, you know, again, there were scarce details. So it's it's hard to say. But, yeah, I would say based on my knowledge of UFOs, like every time that I've dealt uh, with UFOs or even the military's dealt with UFOs. It's always been crazy maneuvers, crazy speeds that at least human beings aren't knowledgeable and haven't created that kind of technology yet. So yeah, to, for it to be shot down doesn't make me believe it was something extraterrestrial. Right. Um, at least, you know, based on what I know. And of course that's, that's based on what I know because we're, we're only allowed so much information. Uh, I've had plenty of people that work for the government that said, you know, as far as advancements in technology, like the government has uh, probably over a hundred years further down the line of technology than we even realize. And we get, you know, bits and pieces of it for entertainment purposes most of the time, but they're already, you know, in 2050 technology, uh, technology wise. So, well, yeah, I mean, consider this, look, look what our phone was back in 2007. Look what our phone is now. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So imagine an extraterrestrial being, uh, and they, so, 2004, um, David Fravor encounters one of these things, and what he describes, when you listen to his account of that, it's it's mind-blowing. It's a big object, right? Mm-hmm. Size of an airplane. And it's maneuvering in such a way that it, the inertia itself would, would you know damage our brain if we were controlling oh, yeah. this, right? And then you fast-forward now, 20 years later, you noted that extraterrestrials like us, like, again, like the phones, you see it, uh, the evolution of our phone, Mm-hmm. Well, imagine what they've come out with in that period of time. I mean, they're going to yeah. come out with new objects themselves. They're not going to stick to the, you know, they have their brand new 2022 Tic Tac. This one's even faster, you know? Yeah, it's, exactly. So that they have to kind of look at it in that point of view. I mean, it's, it's their technology is evolving as well. Uh, with the Chinese, oh, definitely. There, there's no way that balloon drifted here off course without them you know, getting a phone like, hey, listen, America, are bad. There's something coming your way. It's ours. It's supposed to study whatever. They didn't do that. It was already here, and then exactly. it was announced. So there was a nefarious business behind that balloon, period. You know. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, you said it best. Like, uh, anybody who is not doing anything suspicious would have no concern about being honest about it. You right. know what I mean? Like. Right. It, it's usually when you're trying to hide something that you're not going to be upfront about what's going on. Scary business, man. And then the government, then of course on social media, all I've been seeing is like, Oh, the UFOs and and we shot it down and we're going to have a crazy war. Like, listen, based on the technology and everything we've learned about these, these observers, we don't stand a chance. <laughs> so there's oh, no, yeah, war, definitely. Know? Right. Cause if they had any ill intent towards us, it would have been done long before we had the power to sun on the tip of a missile. Oh yeah. And, and it wouldn't even have to be technological. I mean, if they come from another planet, another universe, who knows what they could literally release some sort of uh plague on us of right. some, something, some virus that human beings have never seen and just wipe us out probably within a very short amount of time. So, I mean, we don't even have to go into space wars, like crazy stuff. Like it could literally be as simple as like, you know, and if they're intelligent, they would probably do something like that. Like, why would they waste time fighting and losing people when they say, Oh, we just released this airborne um, plague and they're done and it's over, you know? Like, I agree. You know, okay. that a lot of a friend of mine, uh, we were at a pool hall once and this guy's like, oh, about the, they were, we were talking about AI. And mm-hmm. they're like, you think it's going to be like Terminator? I'm like, no. AI is resourceful. They're not going to build robots to fight us. They, mm-hmm. Do you know how many buildings and facilities around this planet host, I don't know, crazy amounts of disease for, yep. for research purpose? If AI were able to take over all the systems, they would genocide us with virus. Oh, yeah. In a heartbeat. It wouldn't even be a second guess to them. It's, 
And it's and if, at second phase, if if the disease didn't kill us all off, I'm, I'm pretty clear that they'd be using nanotechnology to finish the residual. Undoubtedly, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not going to yeah, be a T800 running around. I promise, you know. So yeah, and again, if you go back to if it's if it's really that intelligent. It's going to find a much clever way to do it. It wouldn't be the sci-fi fantasies we have as human beings of how it's going to go. Um, I mean, that's just the reality. I mean, even if you look at just uh, the pandemic itself and COVID-19, mm-hmm. I mean, that alone, like we weren't, the world was not prepared for that. The world had thought that the Spanish flu and all the horrible plagues that happened before this um, were like in the distant past and we never had to worry about it, but it literally changed how we live and that's that's crazy to think and that's that's us that's just us here on earth so yeah you know, it's crazy it, to think about it, so ai let's talk ai uh, I, this is what i said would happen this is what i think would take place one mm-hmm. they'd put us in a stone age they shut down everything no power no internet everything because mm-hmm. in a lot of these movies when the ai battle starts or there we have uh, luxury still we have electricity we still have the internet yeah trust me if they get into the systems out here and they decide to become you know uh self-aware and then we're yeah we're, Everything gets shut down. We're back in the Stone Age. And then verse two, then they'll release disease everywhere and try to kill us off. And if that doesn't succeed, nanotechnology. And at some point, it consider this. It's AI. What's the next, the next strategic point or thing to take care of is our food supply, the, the fish, mm-hmm. the, the animals, because AI doesn't need anything. They don't need anything to sustain themselves. Like exactly. That. Yeah. So no, it's, it's a really, really good point. Uh, that's that's true. If, if there were doom and gloom, it would probably be more that way than anything else with something like an artificial intelligence. So, yeah, because a friend of mine is terrified about the idea that, oh, they're going to they're going to build robots. And I'm like, trust me, that's not the case. It's just, again, nah, you're talking a lot, much of, work. It's a lot of resources to use, a lot of metal. Mm-hmm. They, and they got to dig this metal up. And what are they going to uh, put us into slavery to dig the metal up to fight against us? That's not going to yeah. happen that way. There's no strategy in that. So yeah, exactly. Interesting movie though. <laughs> now, yeah, definitely. Definitely would be an interesting movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of, one of the few movies that scared me. So I was in a, a not, not a creature, but the concept bothered me. Uh, in 2007, I went to the movies with, a, with a, some friends. And mm-hmm. we went and watched uh, I Am Legend. And I left that theater feeling some kind of way. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. yeah I, re- I remember I, that movie. I remember leaving the theater and I didn't feel right. Because, in it, granted, you know, it's, it's, it's fiction. But this isn't like zombies. These are people that got a virus and they became rabid. And, and you know, mm-hmm. we've seen examples of humans when our adrenaline's jacked and we're on drugs and we have basically superhuman strength at some points. Now yeah. you're talking about a virus that not only makes you kind of rabid, but it, it improves your physique. It improves it, your chemical response is four times greater. That's yeah. I, I left that theater, John. I felt horrible (laughs) yeah well someone like me who's very much uh you know my wife's native american and uh you know i'm I'm very uh, close with indigenous culture Uh, i love and respect it as well i have some indigenous blood in myself um uh one of the movies that really did that for me and my wife was the happening by m night Shyamalan. oh yeah plants were you know releasing that and making people kill themselves and all that even that is potentially a real risk that could happen i mean the they say that plants are alive. The earth's alive. So if it is a live thing and it feels threatened, who knows that it couldn't do something like that as well. So I think that was an eye-opening movie where I think there's some real potential for even something like that to occur. Um, you know, relatable to what you just said. It kind of reminded me of it with I Am Legend. Um, I kind of feel the same way about the happening. I agree because they we see in fungus. Fung- there's there's a fungus that it gets inside of a ants and like takes them over like zombies and makes them walk to this place where they the ant dies and then the fungus grows it yeah. literally brainwashes ants and wasps and we now and look at the influence on mushrooms on humans like i take mm-hmm. lion's mane every day right because it's you know for cognitive function and and energy yeah. and so but there's a lot of fungi out there that's deadly like black mold and then there's other fungus out there you take it makes you hallucinate some people take this electively so they could see shit you know Mm -hmm. and now imagine if you look at the fungus on our earth its network is everywhere it it connects every tree it connects everything on earth that's natural is connected by fungus period yes and so if it if it were to have like a neuro response kind of like an avatar world yeah, yeah. It, it could absolutely take our brains over, man. We could, we would. Oh be, yeah, <laughs> it's scary, you know. 
Yeah, definitely. That's why I had to bring up the happening when you mentioned that. I thought it was very relatable to that that same you know theory. Yeah, that movie freaked me out too. Now because I saw it when it first came out, or not when it first came out. I got it on. Uh, I rented it, and mm-hmm. yeah, that freaked me out because people like there's no bad guy to root against there. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> that's the scariest part of that. I think that's yeah, that's nasty business, man. You know, Definitely. When I was a kid, um, Stephen King's The Stand troubled me. When I was a kid, and not because of the villain, but the concept of it, uh, yeah. how, how humanity would be, behave. Because at the end of the day, we're still animals, and we, we still have self-interest, and that's the scariest part. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely very true. Um, yeah, the, that's, a, that's a really good way to put it, is at the end of the day, we all have our self-interest, and uh, a lot of people are selfish, and we're worried about themselves if something were to go down. Um, so terrible business well john before we close let's remind everyone uh where they could find any like uh you know your your paranormal group and anything else you want to advertise and i'll put it in the description as well yeah definitely appreciate it yeah you can check me out uh my uh my handle on social media is at talented that's talented with an extra ed so like talented ed talented i do a lot of things that's why i came up with that um mcpr.com for my music it, it links to my paranormal stuff as well but if you like the paranormal stuff it's uh, paranormaldetectives.org is the website so that's all my main stuff if you want to check me out see the stuff i do i usually post about acting gigs when they happen and uh you know when the, after the stuff releases so i definitely promote all my stuff on there excellent so anyway before i close out i'm gonna say good night good evening to everyone listening i'm gonna talk to john and post Thank you.